Hello and welcome to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network brought to you by Campbell's new chunky spicy soup. It's time to get fired up. Make sure you find the Raptors show wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate and review the program. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. Once again, Blake Murphy is on a well-earned break. Uh, so we will see him in roughly two weeks. Uh, but in the meantime, I got a cast of friends to help uh, co-host the show. Once again, Vivek Jacob, writer at large, uh, is here with me. What's going on, V? Did you enjoy that game last night? I did. It was a great win to, you know, start off the post-All-Star break stretch. Mm. Uh, big win. Love the way Scotty came out. Love the way the whole team came out with a lot of energy, uh, a lot of defensive intensity. Yep. And I think, uh, you know, the goal now is to see if you can carry that over into the next night. Uh, listen, I would love to see the Raptors, um, you know, just get get a win over the Hawks. I feel like, I mean, the Raptors have beat them once this year. They've lost twice, and the Raptors will play them on, uh, tonight at 7.30. Um, but, you know, that the last game against the Hawks, the way it ended, it was really close. Uh, Trey Young jumping into your elbow 25 times a game. You know, you know just the Sadiq Bay put back for the win, like, it just didn't leave a great uh, feeling. So I understand that the Raptors obviously um, beyond the results necessarily. I'm sure Sadiq had like seven offensive rebounds in that game. Yeah. Well, that's the one where afterwards Darko was like, everyone's got to learn how to box out. Yeah. We're going to work on box out drills. We're going to work on closeout drills. Um, you know, the Raptors, you know, they, they have gone back to basics in, in many, many ways for this younger team. But uh, yeah, that would be nice to beat the Hawks, man. Honestly, it just annoyed me be. as a team. It will be. Yeah. Um, yeah, but looking at this Nets game, I think, you know, we had our own expectations coming in. The Nets <laughs> heading one way, uh, the Raptors uh-huh. heading in a similar direction. So uh, it was going to be interesting to see how it played out. But again, you want to set a tone for how you want this sure, final of third course. of the season to play out. And so I think Scotty, right out of the gate, uh, you know, Ben Simmons tries to be aggressive right off the top. Uh, it's like, surprise, I'm going to get one layup in. I'm gonna, I'll finish my job for the whole night if I get this one layup. I get and it. And Scotty says, no, I'm yeah. going to reject you at the rim, hustles uh-huh. down the floor, gets a layup, yep. um, knocks down a three a little later and does the uh, Mikhail Bridges celebration in his face. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Actually, I really like the three-point celebration as a form of taunting now. <laughs> the different players, you know what I mean? Because we also saw Dennis, for example, hit the freeze on the Raptors bench in his one basket of the game. But then we also saw Emmanuel quickly hit the freeze against Dennis Schroeder. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, the well, referees so. are really just anti-dunk taunting now. Right. It's like you do anything after a dunk and it's a right. tech. But yeah. you can do whatever you want after a three. Yeah. Well, I mean, we even <laughs> saw like uh, before the All-Star break, it was like Yusuf Nurkic going to be against Draymond Green. And they're hitting like literally turnaround layups against each other <laughs> and then slapping the ground. So exactly, yeah. I mean, the only thing you can't do is hang on the rim or, like, just yell at a guy in his face. But yeah, no, I, I, I loved it last night. The energy was good. Again, Raptors win one twenty-one to ninety-three over the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, a lot to cover, honestly, in this one. Um, but I really wanted to start with just how bad the Nets looked. <laughs> like I was a little shocked. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's there are recognizable names on this thing, and you know, a lot of players here have been involved in winning situations, but. When I saw them, especially in person, I'm just like, this is like up there for like the worst performances I've seen in Scotiabank Arena by a visiting team playing against the Raptors this year. The only comparable I had was when the Pistons were, I think they probably lost 11 straight as part of their 28-game losing streak. Yeah. Um, and the Raptors scored 142 on them on a random Sunday night. 
Um, that's the only one that's close because the Nets were just terrible. And I forgot the fact that, like, yo, they literally lost by 50 going into the <laughs> All-Star break. Got their head coach fired, and the new coach wasn't doing that much either. But, um, yeah, I wanted to start with R.J. Barrett. Uh, R.J., I thought, um, you know, we, we had a discussion yesterday about Emmanuel quickly. And we so, said we wanted to see aggression and him looking for his shot. And yes, that's what he gave yes. us. He gave us that exactly. Uh, quickly, what, 24 points last night plus 32. Thought he really looked for his shot. And um, it just looked much more natural for him. RJ, he got a lot of praise post game from Darko. Um, but I thought in my assessment of it, especially in the first half, he squandered some opportunities. Finished with 12 points, 5 of 13 shooting from the field. Missed both free throws, but hit 2 of 4 from 3. What did you make of RJ's game last night? I think in terms of his individual offense, uh, I know you were saying in the React pod that he seemed a bit forced, and I would agree with that. And I think, you know, once he puts his head down, everyone seems to have a pretty good idea of what's happening. I think since he's put on a Raptors uniform, we've seen some good decision-making where he has been able to penetrate and then kick out. Uh, we did see some of the playmaking in this one where he finishes with seven assists. A good chunk of them came in the first half, and I thought that uh, set a good tone for the team offensively. But I think when it came to his individual offense, he did struggle a bit. But you live with that, you know, especially when everything is going so right for everyone else. Yeah. I mean, he definitely got a lot of praise for the assist. Um, I, I think, honestly, for me, it's just it looked like the Nets knew exactly what he wanted to do. And honestly, like most scouting reports should know what he wants to do, right? He does one thing really, really well, RJ Barrett does right now since joining the Raptors. His shot chart, and I looked it up, um, has just been very very peculiar like he's got a really strange shot chart he's only taken since joining the raptors two mid-range jumpers he's played 20 games now with the rap he's taken two mid-range jumpers uh he's one for two it doesn't even matter there's two shots <laughs> uh you compare that to he's taken 193 shots within the restricted area and i think that's how you get to rj getting much more efficient as a player he's always looking to get and force his way and honestly, even when he's forced against going to his left, he usually comes back to his left anyway. Um, and I, I suppose maybe the left-handedness of the whole thing um, inspired this kind of comparison because Darko Rakovic actually had a really nice quote uh, post-game when asked about R.J. Barrett and which uh, former champion that uh, he was studying. So let's run that clip. RJ made some good reads, especially early in the game, seven assists. Where, where have you seen kind of the biggest areas of growth in his ability to read the game and make plays? Manu Ginobili. We had a conversation and uh, it was a couple of weeks ago and I, I told him that I see some of that type of play in him that he can actually attack, that he can that he sees the floor really well, and that that's what we need from him to do to be able to score and attack, but also to make right plays and to be playmaker for us. And the very fortunate thing about that is that Malo Ginobili is his favorite player as well. So uh, it really it really helps that that his mindset is the right one of finding the good the good balance between being aggressive and really finding his teammates. And he ended up game tonight with with seven assists and to be honest with you I expect that from him every single night I was gonna ask if you've had him studying Manu but it sounds like that's something that he's been doing for a while now yeah look looks like that that's his favorite player and and obviously he watched him a lot and I'm planning of sitting down with him and just watching that film together and enjoying that film together yeah so I mean first off hey Manu is is, is an all-timer for me I'm, I'm sure for you too I mean Manu is just yep. like such a Awesome player, especially obviously uh, winning the, the 
four four chips with the Spurs, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, do you see a little bit of that with RJ? By the way, also, I had to mention, uh, there was a DJ Carton who was on a 10-day contract. Um, he got his first basket as a Raptor. I think his first basket in the league, too. So I hope they got the game ball for DJ as well. Um, he came in because, again, it was the Raptors were up 30, right? He comes in third unit, takes it strong. He's also a lefty, by the way, and finishes an and one through contact at the rim. And I loved it. The entire Raptors bench jumped out of their seats to celebrate for the new guy. And the camera actually panned over to, to RJ, who was actually doing the Moji, switched it up with the left <laughs> like Ginobili. So, again, just an incredible Toronto connection. A incredible GTA connection for for RJ. But yeah, I mean, uh, do you see some Ginobili in the way RJ can potentially grow here? I I don't really see the comparison, okay. uh, if I'm being completely honest. I, I think <laughs> okay. that he's definitely, I think Ginobili is a great person to learn from. Okay, okay. And I think that is the type of player that RJ would want to strive to be like. It's a great example mm-hmm. to have set. Uh, but right now, if I were to compare their games, I, I would say they're extremely different. I think mm. Ginobili... You know, What's the most different much, part about it? I would say ju- just the variety, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think... That's the, the thing Ginobili, with Ginobili. You, you, nev- you never knew what he was going to do exactly. on the drive. Yeah. It was mean, unpredictability. Pop would say it too. <laughs> like I, I did not know what he was going to do. And, <laughs> you have to learn I, to like live with the fact yeah, that... In the beginning, he would get mad about it. Yep. And then... He realized, hey, the only way I'm going to get the best out of this player is to just let him be. <laughs> and, hey, the championships speak for themselves. But, yeah, I think when you talk about RJ's shot distribution, mm-hmm. to your point, 70% of his shots come within 10 feet of the basket. Yep. The, there's another 26% that are threes. So that's 96% of his shot spectrum. Yep. yep. So yep. if you look at over the course of his career – he shoots 30% from 10 to 16 feet. And so I think if he can just work on that in practice and get to a point where he's actually comfortable enough to take them mm-hmm. in games, that's when I think we'll see more of you know the less one-track-minded, hey, at this point, if I've got a slight advantage, uh, if I've got a slight step on my defender, I've got to take it all, all the way to the basket, right? Mm. Because he doesn't have the confidence right now to hit that pull-up, right, from that 10 to 16-foot range. So yeah. I think if he can work on that in practice, add that to his game, then you get to a point where it's like, okay, this is an option for me out on the floor now. And I think that's where you'll see his game expand. And I think that's where when you look at a Ginobili, it's like, okay, if I need to pull up from three, I can pull up from three. If I need to hit a mid-range, I can hit a mid-range. If I need to take it all the way to the basket for a slick layup, uh, around guys to throw it down. Dunk on Chris Bosh, exactly as a thirty-five-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. he could do it all. Yeah, and so I think that's the main thing uh, that I would say when RJ is watching film of Ginobili. Mm-hmm. It's hey, how do I expand the variety of my game to make it more like Amanu? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think you know, in terms of their similarities, um, at least right now, the mo- the biggest similarity is just the ability to get a step on their guy and then find a way to get to the hoop. I, I always did admire that from Ginobili. I think he probably mixed in a little bit more creativity, but RJ has a little bit of that as well. Sometimes you see him pull out Euro steps, uh, little moves like that just to sort of get himself downhill. But again, like if there's any sort of craftiness that he can add to his game, because to me, I'm not saying he's like one-dimensional, but it's like very clear that he does one thing really, really well, right? Yeah. And 
My thing is, what is that secondary skill that comes in? So Darko's talked about, okay, he has seven assists. Quite frankly, I expect him to do that. First off, love that, okay? High expectations, you know, immigrant dad, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's, is, is that an area you want to see from him? Like something like RJ's always getting something, because he does get to the paint a lot. If you get into the paint, you're almost always seeing the two defenders, unless, you know, you're playing the Brooklyn Nets and they're not playing defense, basically. Um, yeah, that does open a lot of opportunities for kickouts. Do you, do you feel like that passing... Um, is something that RJ can replicate on a consistent basis. I think as he continues to, you know, get to the basket and make reads and learn, uh, you know, the offense, uh, you look at the opportunities that quickly had to shoot in this game. You look mm -hmm. at uh, the opportunities that Gary Trent Jr. had to shoot in this game. Uh, a lot of good looks. And so I think that's where you look at it and say, okay, you know, once I've gotten into the paint, if I don't have a layup or a dunk, someone should be open. I should mm. be able to get a clean look for somebody. And I think that's where, just reading the game, um, still a young player. So uh, yeah. as that continues to progress, uh, I think, uh, you know, there's definitely room to grow. Mm. And I think there's enough to feel like he can progress in that area. Yeah, I think that is the hope. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think for RJ too, one thing I, I've been really enjoying is his, he makes good skip passes especially out for threes. Um, he sees the court well on that front. Um, it just, to me, does feel like there are times where he puts his head down and only yeah. wants to go to the hoop. Right. And so, again, it's finding the right balance. But, you know, RJ uh, was a solid contributor last night. Quickly was really good. Scotty was really good. Gary was also really good. And I feel like we haven't really talked much about Gary Trent Jr. all season. Um, you know, he's been starting. He's moved to the bench. Kind of similar to last season with the Raptors. Um Gary last night finishes with 25 points, shoots 9 of 12 from the field. A lot of those are pull-up mid-range, pull-up threes, made five threes as well. Where are you at with Gary in terms of just like, you know, what your assessment is of him as a player and you keeping him for next season and beyond? Yeah, I think in terms of keeping him beyond next season, I would like to think the Raptors probably look to see if there were offers for him at this deadline and okay. maybe there just wasn't anything that, that was worth taking on yep okay. and, and so if there's nothing really out there in return um do you then have the confidence that because he's a young player that you can build him up into something better mm. right and, and that i think is a conversation to be had so when you look at growth opportunities even if you look at this game mm. started out really well was shooting the ball lights yep. out yep started the third quarter mm. he gets taken out early yeah three minutes into the quarter and it's because Darko feels he doesn't have a lack of focus, right? Mm. And I, I think there were a couple of moments. There was one where, um, so in the first quarter, the Raptors were running an action where Scotty is handling the ball on the left side of the floor. Gary is coming to set the screen to get Ben Simmons off Scotty mm -hmm. and get the mismatch against Cam Thomas. Mm. Now, initially in that first half, the Nets were giving up that switch. And they came out in the second half and made the adjustment and said, okay, we're going to ice this. We're going to force the ball out of Scotty's hands. Gary was smart enough to like slip the screen mm -hmm. and get open for a three, but he didn't get in the right position and it ends up being a turnover for Scotty. Uh, okay. There was another one where Cam Thomas ends up wide open for three, mm -hmm. where Gary's just missed an easy floater in the paint mm -hmm. and just does not locate Cam Thomas at all. Right. And, and straight away, Darko was like, hey, you are not locked in right now. Get your head in the game. Mm. And I think 
that is something I'm really looking for from Darko uh, down this final stretch. It's like, hey, this is the team now. Let's see accountability, right? Yeah. And, and let's hold people to a standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the key with Gary. It's like, hey, stay engaged and locked in on the defensive end. We know what you can do offensively. You are a shot maker. Mm-hmm. You are a shot taker. Uh, and so I think if he can just stay committed on the defensive side of the ball, if Darko can keep him accountable to that side of the ball, yeah, then there is maybe potential to grow there. Yeah, you know, I think for Gary, um, this is uh, the first time he's been uh, in a contract year with the Raptors since uh, when he first got traded to the Raptors. That was back in Tampa. He was restricted that year anyway, but still, you could definitely tell that he really wanted to make an impression. He had some really notable moments. He had, what, the the game winner that he hit against Washington. This, again, Howell Neto tried to, like, flop <laughs> against him. Remember that one? And he, yeah. he was able to knock down the three for that one. He also, in that stretch, um, had a 44-point game against Cleveland. I don't know if everyone remembers this, but he won 17 he, for he missed, 19. He like, two shots, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. <remember> that. <laughs> he made all of his twos. He was t- a perfect 10 to 10 from two, and he went 7 of 9 from three. Or 44 points against Cleveland. So I, I felt like there were these in clear moments where he was trying to sort of assert himself. And, you know, he just played at a different intensity, right? And I, and I think that there's a big opportunity now, especially now that he's unrestricted, to do the same thing, you know? And I think that for Gary, the scoring is always going to be the main draw. The fact that he could shoot, the fact that he's a really good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. I mean, when you look at his catch-and-shoot three-point percentage, and I don't know this is like a wild comparison but like he's with like 0.5 percentage points behind Steph Curry on catch and shoot three point accuracy yeah. Whatever. I'm not saying that they're the same level I'm just saying he's shooting really well and that's something he always does I mean even in January he led the league in three point shooting yeah so what is the secondary skill though because you know for most starters like you gotta do more than one thing at minimum and I do think that his ambition is to be a starter in this league what's that second calling card for Gary and I think we've always been asking this question for the last like three, four years. Again, going back to the you know the immigrant dad mentality, we're just asking for more. But seriously, like, okay, you got an A in three point shooting. Where's your other A's? Yeah, I, I think that's where when you see the lack of playmaking, right? Mm. Um, generally, like th- there was a random game where he had you know seven or eight rebounds, and you're saying, wow, you know? Yeah. So can you get? To a level where you're contributing more on the glass, can you consistent consistently be locked in on the defensive end? Um, obviously, you've had Gary Trent Senior on the show, yeah. and when he's talked about uh, you know finding your role with an NBA team mm-hmm. and what your ideal position is, I remember him saying, "Hey, you are what you can defend." Mm, right, he did say that. So the question for Gary is, you know, what position can you defend? Mm-hmm. And so if he can identify that and really make that a focus and make that stand out, then I think that's his clearest path Mm -hmm. to becoming a starter one day. Yeah, I think, again, this is so long ago, but you go back to when Portland was in the bubble and they had that, like, undefeated run. Um, Gary was a huge part of that, and he was their go-to defender. Now, of course, I think that speaks to especially Portland's personnel at that time, it wasn't going to be Dame. It wasn't going to be CJ. Uh, was Melo on those teams? I actually don't, I don't know if Melo was on those teams. But yeah. ultimately, like, 
Gary was the best option for those guys. But he also played at a different intensity. And and that always stuck in my mind in terms of when the Raptors acquired him. I was like, oh, we're getting this, you know? And sometimes we got that. The bubble was different, man. Bubble was we different. We had MJ Warren. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, TJ Warren, <laughs> TJ scoring. Yeah, yeah. Um, the bubble was just different. The bubble was different. You're right, but I, anyway, in any case, I, I think that there is more from Gary, and you even saw last night, for example, um, you just him losing Bridges a couple of times. You know, and and Bridges is not that dynamic of offensive player. Like, no offense to him, he's a good catch and shoot guy. He cuts around, and moves well. You know, he doesn't take possessions off offensively or defensively, really. But you know. He's not, like, so crafty that it's like, oh, you can't handle him. Like, you know what I mean? If you stick with him mostly and you guys communicate through your switches and screens and things like that, like, you can actually hold a guy like this a little quieter. And he's not like he had a crazy big game, but a lot of his baskets um, were due to sort of Gary losing track. I, I think there is this, and I, and I heard this from a couple fans now and even other media members asking this question. Do you even get to a point where you might say, well, because this season is about development, maybe you switch – the starting group and you maybe even give Grady a chance to start, which we have seen Grady start one game this year. That did lead to the infamous um, introduction. Yeah. Which uh, he clarified was big, big energy to be clear. <laughs> uh, but in any case, yeah. Would you want to see, you know, Grady start in his place? I think if you establish a point where Gary Trent Jr. is not part of the future and, you know, Bobby Webster said that it's TBD on Gary, mm-hmm. but if, they do establish within, you know, their own conversations that Gary's not going to be back next season, then I think absolutely move on. You know, then it's it's time to prioritize uh, Grady Dick, get him as, as many reps uh, with that starting unit as possible, see what's mm-hmm. what there. Um, and, you know, beyond that, you know, I, th- I think there's times where you might even have, if you're going up against two bigs, you might even be able to get Kelly Olenek with, Jakob Bertel, see what that looks like. I do kind of want to see that look once in a while. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I, I think that that could be an interesting mix. Uh, in terms of a theoretical prototype mm-hmm. that can fit this core, uh, I, I don't think he's a starting level player right now. But it, when you look at him as an on-ball defender, he might be the best on-ball defender on the team, mm-hmm. uh, Ojai Abaji. Um, and so there might even be a conversation to be had there where do you give him a couple of starts where you see offensively when he's with the bench and he has to do a bit more and he's taking those extra dribbles then it looks a bit clunky but if he's with a starting group where it's just hey just cut to the basket you know if you get a corner three that's open take it Mm. other than that we just want you to defend the best perimeter player you know maybe there's a couple games down the stretch where you also take a look at that yeah I, it's, it's interesting because the wing is a little cluttered right now, positionally. Um, you know, I think that maybe you resolve Bruce Brown's future. He played 25 minutes, for example. You could easily redistribute more of those minutes to a guy like Grady or Ochai. Or if you want to give a chance to Jordan Wara, who basically only came in, uh, has come in in garbage time now. But, um, yeah, there is still something with Gary. It was just like, offensively, like, yes, we understand that Grady's also a shooter. But, like, Gary's level of shooting at least right now obviously he's like much more experienced than five years older i believe yeah um but he's much better right now and i think there's much more consistency i don't actually mind grady just like being comfortable with the bench role i mean i think we're like always trying to like force way too much and jump ahead on the action Mm -hmm. i think that 
you know, what we saw at the start of the season, he was involved in the rotation. Gary was struggling at that time as well. He ate into some of Gary's minutes, and then he cooled off. Gary, you know, came on strong. Now he's obviously in the lead, and he's starting. For Grady, just let him go at his own pace. You know, whatever he's comfortable with right now, let's keep him comfortable. I, you know, don't shake his confidence. I, yeah. I like where his confidence is at right now. It seems to be in a good place. Um, so I wouldn't really personally do it myself. Also, I don't necessarily want to close the door on Gary. You know what I mean? Like, I actually would like to see him. The biggest thing for me is can you find and play the same game coming off the bench as you do with the starters? Right. Because he seems to always really struggle with coming off the bench, and it's a noticeably different player. I think there's a real good chance for him to be like a six-man type of player in the future. Not your traditional six-man who can handle and create for themselves, but still um, a guy who can come off the bench and do some good things for you. But, you know, speaking of Gary Trent Jr., it's time now for the spicy stat of the day. Okay. Brought to you by new Chunky Spicy Soup. Are you ready to get fired up? Yeah, typically co-host Blake Murphy will do the spicy stats, so I'm going to hope to do him justice uh, in this way. And we're on the subject of Gary Trent Jr., so I looked up his shot chart for the season, and it's a very pronounced shot chart. Um, when you are shooting well from a zone, it is green, and yep. when you're shooting poorly, it's red. And basically, if you look at Gary Trent's shot chart, it's split. Everything on the left is green. Everything on the right is red. <laughs> uh, so if you like actually go through the jumpers on the left side of the floor, Gary Trent Jr. shooting 48.3%, including 48.6% from three alone. So he is excellent from the left side of the floor. Yeah. Right side of the floor, when you add up all the jumpers, 33.7%. I don't know how that happens specifically. His three-point percentage drops off. His two-point percentage drops off. It's a 15 percentage point jump if he crosses over to the left side versus the right side so i don't that know don't make no sense i actually don't understand why so vivek do you do you have a, a theory as to why he's uh, so much better on one half of the floor i mean the only thing I'd, I'd say is in general you know when you're shooting like when you're entering that shot pocket as a right-handed shooter mm -hmm. you know you're coming up off the left and you're going up i think with gary you know he he's never going right Right. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You know what? We might have solved it. Yeah. And, and, and so we got to just combine think, him and RJ, you know? Like just. And so I think there's just a general comfort with that. Uh -huh. um, man, RJ and Gary, you, you really might be calling them, you know, RJ, Amory, and No, they both do one thing, and, and, and hopefully they do two things and beyond, but... Um, yeah, shouts to producer Derek who, who, who said that he's basically Zoolander. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, good win by the Raptors last night. Hopefully they replicate it uh, tonight against the Hawks too. But I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spice Soup. And after the break, as we mentioned yesterday on the show, I really wanted to talk about Vince Carter uh, and who better to do that with than one of his former teammates. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host. William Liu, uh, continue to be joined by fill-in co-host Vivek Jacob. And, um, yeah, I've been wanting to talk about Vince Carter um, for a few days now, I, especially after he made the comments 
um, now that he's Hall of Fame eligible, uh, that he wants to go into the Hall of Fame as as a Raptor. And um, as somebody like putting all the cards on the table, first year I tapped into the Raptors was uh, 2004, 2005. So that was actually the tail end of uh, Vince's time. And it, I've always obviously understood and, and, and heard the various perspectives on Vince, um, you know, but I literally came in at the very end of the party. So mm-hmm. I wanted to ask some people like yourself, Avec, and also like Alvin Williams, who's joining us on the program live from, where are you, Alvin? You're in Atlanta? Atlanta, hot Atlanta. You're in Atlanta, Alvin. Yeah, I appreciate you. Yeah, look, listen, I missed the party with Vince. So I need to actually ask people who were there, who, you know, Vivek on the fan perspective, you from literally, you know, being his, uh, you know, on the court with him uh, about Vince and this time, because, yeah, he, he did give those comments where he wants to enter the Hall of Fame as a member of the Raptors. Um, Vivek, I know you got a lot of good questions on this. <laughs> so I'm just going to turn the ball over to you because I, I know you got a lot of good things to ask Alvin about what it was like <laughs> playing with Vince. Alvin, I'm, I'm a bit older, so I, I can think back to some of those days <laughs> and watching Vince do his thing. Um, I specifically want to go back to his second season. And this is like the two-week stretch where he had, uh, you guys played Phoenix uh, on national TV, and he had the 50-point game. He had the buzzer beater against the Clippers. He had the buzzer beater uh, against the Celtics. And you guys won 11 of 12 in that stretch and helped you guys get into the playoffs. What was it like as a teammate during that two-week stretch where Vinsanity was just peaking? Well, for me, it was it was amazing to watch. I wasn't getting that much burn back then. So it was, it was amazing to watch um, just seeing how he was evolving overnight, game to game, day to day. And, you know, just coming back, winning a slam dunk contest and, his name was a buzz was out of the building and and his name was going through the roof and he was backing it up, not just from the athletic side, but from the skill side, hitting three pointers, game winners and and, you know, the dunking opportunities and the things that he could do. But just winning games, showing that he had, you know, big time courage, big time game, cold blooded. And he was an assassin and he just was putting all of these games and stacking them all up, building up his resume. And as you mentioned, we were winning. You see a lot of players, they do marvelous and great things, but it doesn't equate to winning. We were winning, and he was he was showing out. When, when you think back to, you, you know, you, then you go into the playoffs, you get swept by the Knicks in the first round. The next year you come back, you take those lessons, you beat the Knicks, you hit that big shot. I was going to say, they finally played Alvin. That's the big change right there. <laughs> We got we got rid of Tracy and put me in the lineup, and we got better. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that was a joke. That was I would that was a joke. <laughs> Don't worry, we know we know we know we know. But but actually, you know, you say that as a joke. But let's go back quickly. You know, as as Vince is really rising to this meteoric level, did you maybe see a little bit in Tracy starting to feel like, hey, I want that for myself, and and starting to think that maybe I need my own team to do this. Definitely. I, I didn't know he would say, I need my own team to do this. And, I, you know, I don't even know if that was his mindset. Maybe it was, you know, get from out of Vince's shadow because it was Vince's show. But Tracy was showing also that same year, game by game. Tracy was the guy that we put on and Bush Carter would play him at multiple positions. He would play the point guard. He would play the two, the small forward, the power forward. 
And he also would do it on defense. So he guarded multiple positions. And he was very valuable. Without his rise, the Raptors would not have, we would not have made that push to get into the playoffs that year. But then, you know, him going to, to Orlando. But I also think, you know, he was going there with Grant Hill. So it wouldn't necessarily been just a Trace McGrady show. It was just the fact that Grant Hill got hurt and it turned into Trace McGrady show. But I don't think he was looking for just his show. I think it was more looking for an opportunity to play at home, opportunity to have a different look, and then just show what he actually could do in a different uniform. So, you know, it was, it was but he was another heck of a player, and you could see his rise as well, right along with Vince's. Yeah, that's that's one of the greatest what-ifs. You know, like, the biggest what-ifs for the Raptors is what if Kawhi had re-signed uh, after the chip? Because I feel like, you know, they had everything set up and ready to go, and there was no new team that could have knocked the Raptors off the porch, but we obviously understood that he was always going to L.A., and he did do that. The other big what if is what if Tracy and Vince were able to actually grow up together and spend more time and both grow into their peak, you know, with Alvin running the show as well. You know what I mean? Like, that's a big three right there. Um, so I think, okay, so for me, I, I've seen the highlights, literally preparing for the show today. Vivek would just show me, like, a bunch of YouTube highlights <laughs> of Vince. He's like, yo, look at this one. Look at this dunk. Look at this game winner. Look at this. Um and, you know, so I understand, I guess, what was happening on the court. Can you take us through, like, what it was like, how big of a superstar and the, the media attention on Vince when it was, like, peak insanity? Like, what was that like? I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> it was something, again, overnight. I remember, you know, Vince's rookie year in 98 and us coming into the season – he and I both couldn't play at the time because the thing was coming off a lockout and then we had to sign our contract. So we weren't really allowed to play in practice quite yet, right at the beginning. And we used to go to Eaton Center a lot. Okay. And people didn't recognize, you know, people didn't recognize. Oh, they definitely didn't recognize me, you know, maybe here and there with Vince, but we could actually walk through the mall. Oh. And then maybe a month into the season, no matter where we went, we couldn't go with Vince. Like, if Vince couldn't go anywhere. And it just happened again overnight because of things he was doing. And I remember Vince asked me, hey, hey, man, you want to go to the mall? And it was not enjoyable. It, it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't even cool to hang out with Vince anymore because we were going on the road. It was it was yeah. mayhem. And even in Toronto, I didn't even think about going out with him. So I just saw overnight the media arise, rose up, and Vince just showed out again. And it was just one of those things where, Again, overnight, and it was amazing to see how he handled it, right? Mm. He didn't come in with all the fanfare. He didn't come in with those high expectations. Yes, he was the fifth pick, I want to say, but he didn't have all the notoriety at that time. And, it, again, it just happened. And the way he managed it and handled it overnight, it was it was, it was was amazing to watch. Mm. You know what? The way you're describing it, it almost sounds like Scotty's going through a similar thing. Not, not to the same level of, like, you know, Vince was, like, face of the league type oh, of, yeah. like, yeah. you know what I mean? But, no. But – Coming in with, like, not that much profile, but then, no? All right, I'm pushing it too much. Yeah, no. Uh, okay. I, I, tell, I don't think Scotty can walk I, through Eaton Center either, you know? Yeah, yeah, but I tell, I'll tell you this. It's a different level? And, yeah, a whole different level. Okay. Scotty's a great player, and the world is different now. You know, For everyone, sure. your eyes is on everyone. So, But I'm, I've seen little babies, little girls crying, little boys, like people oh. crying to see Vince. I'll tell you this. No one was coming to see uh, Alvin Williams and and – no disrespect to any other players, but Vince was selling out the building when the Toronto Raptors played, right? Like, yeah. like that yeah. was it. We're going to see Vince Carter. We're not going to see the Toronto Raptors play. We're going mm. to see Vince Carter and what he's going to do tonight because if we don't catch it, we're going to catch it on another network. We're going to catch it on ESPN or something like that, the highlights. But they, it was a must-see game. And again, 
No disrespect to other players, but I truly believe if Vince Carter wasn't on the team, we might have had about three or four players along with our family members or three or four fans along with our family members watching those games. Oh, come on. I mean, just for some... No, no, seriously. For some perspective uh, on what Vince was doing. So, obviously, uh, first year, he wins Rookie of the Year. Second season in the league, he, he averages 25.7 points, 5.8 rebounds, 3.9 assists, 1.3 steals, 1.1 blocks. Then comes the big season, right? The, the one where we, we're going to talk about the Philly series because we have to. Uh, 27.6 points, 5.5 rebounds, 3.9 assists. And we're talking about averaging 20 point, is it 27.6 at a time when, yeah. you know. This is like it, him averaging a, 40 in today's game, basically. Yeah. 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 And so let's, let's look at that season now. And, you know, you go into that series against the Sixers and you talk about how he handles pressure and expectation and going up against Allen Iverson and they're just exchanging 50-point games and, and going back and forth. What was it like to just be a part of that? Funny. You're funny. You're a funny guy, man. <laughs> <laughs> Vince and AI wasn't going back and forth with 50s. Vince was getting his 50s, and AI was giving me his 50s by myself. So, But that, that was another. I, I was leaving that, that out for you, Albert. <laughs> we all, you said you saw the playoff series. We know the facts. But again, exhausting. That was an exhausting series. It was. I wouldn't have it any other way other than winning it. But, you know, you play a game, come down in the seventh game, last second shot, very ironically and airy is like, it's like this Raptors, when they beat the, Ra the Sixers and they came down to game seven, the mm -hmm. shot, but their shot went in, our shot missed. But, and we were on the Sixers home court, but it was one of those games that, man, it was a back and forth battle. Vince Carter going to work, AI going to work. But we had, we had a team where, Vince, he didn't succumb to pressure. It felt like it was never pressure for him. It felt like the moment was never too big. We had a great, we had some great leadership throughout that time. And oh my goodness. I'm sorry. And we yeah. had great leadership throughout that time. And it helped Vince alleviate some of that pressure and allow Vince to just go out there and play. And that was just one of those back-and-forth games. The crowd was bananas. Philadelphia has the aggressive crowd. They're in your face. Walking the streets in Philly, it, it was uh, it was exciting. Then coming back to Toronto, feeling the love. And it was amazing. I remember walking down the street, and people were paying in their cars half and half. Half Maple Leafs, half for the Raptors. And cars were being painted. And walking down the streets, mm -hmm. people yelling out their windows. And that was a big-time event. That was a big-time moment for all of us. But... Vince really, he stepped up again. It was moments in Vince's career early on where there were opportunities for him to take advantage and show the world what he could do, and he stepped up every time. Yeah, so you, this is all the, the really, really good moments, right? And, you know, even that series, you know, the Game 7, it, the, the graduation thing has been talked to death. We're, we, you know, we don't really have to go there unless you're particularly interested. But yeah. I think for me, it's like that's the inflection point. After that point... There were still really good Vince moments. You know, he still had made a lot of great plays. The, the team next year makes the playoffs, but you started to see more and more pressure. And when expectations rise, and you just got to rise with them at every single step because if you don't and injuries start to catch up and, of course, that ultimately he ends up leaving, like, that's when you saw, like, it just turned the, uh, the other side, right? Because it's one thing when you're, like, the fan favorite, everyone loves you, and then afterwards, you know, you see the other side of that, which became really ugly. And, and that's the thing that... 
I don't know, I'm really curious about because again, I wasn't there for it. Like, what was it? Like, what what was it that got so many people to flip? And people still, even to this day, when they hear Vince talk about, you know, I want to go in and represent the Raptors. It's my best years. You know, I love the franchise. A lot of people still holding on to this idea that like, yo, he betrayed us or I got some negative feelings towards him. What was that moment? You know, do you guys remember? Alvin, do you remember? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, I was highly disappointed. I was, I was confused. Um, I understood, you know, the disappointment from the fans' perspective. I understood, you know, you're losing your megastar. You're losing the person that brings you all the excitement. And from a Toronto side and not knowing that as an athlete at the time, how personal, you know, those relationships were. It's not just for the, the city of Toronto. It's for the country. Mm-hmm. And it was like a, a nationalism. It was like patriotism yeah. that you, you, you have with this country. It's not just playing for the team. It's like you're playing for the Canadian national team. And I feel like the fans really felt betrayed. I think they were let down, and you know, and at the time, I don't under, I don't maybe that the business or understanding the business of the NBA wasn't, you know, the player, the fans weren't aware of the business. People ask for trades all of the time. Now you just see people demanding trades. It was a time where when I got traded, Kenny Anderson just didn't even show up. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not yeah. going to Toronto at all. So I understand that disappointment. But um, it was disappointing to see how the fans re- reacted and responded to Vince. But I think also it was how well he was doing for New Jersey as well. Like, you're going to leave, and he had injuries, and it was up and down, and he wasn't playing as well, and he was making some certain comments that were people the wrong way. And then he goes to New Jersey and just turns back up to Vince Carter, right? But yeah. he was going through a lot. There was a lot of management changing. It was coaches changing. And the whole direction of the team was going in a different direction that Vince was used to. So I don't know all of the behind the scenes things, but you know, it, it, it was, it was really disappointing to see how the, the, the team, the fans and in, in the city responded to Vince Carter when he came back and when he decided to leave. I think it was just like a very personal thing for fans. Like everyone, oh, everyone personal. got so yeah. attached to Vince. He was the face mm-hmm. and you know, you're watching like, a Ja Rule, a Shanti video, and there's Vince jerseys in the back. Like, and, and you know, Vince is everywhere. Yeah. He, yeah, he's, he really he's was. Leading, yeah. He's leading the all-star voting four times. Yeah. Like, yeah. you don't do that unless you're the top of the top in the league. Mm, true. And, and, and he was playing for the Raptors. So and, the Raptors have had two yeah. Christmas games ever. One time was when they won the championship. So the next year, you got to play on Christmas. That's the rule. And then the other time was because Vince was playing in Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was two ever, man. Christmas game. And and so I just feel like with the way things played out in that final season, to see him say stuff like, oh, I don't want to dunk anymore, and mm. averaging, you know, 15 points a game and shooting 40%, and then as soon as he gets traded to New, New Jersey, mm-hmm. at the time New Jersey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he goes up to 27 points a game. Right. Uh, and then, you know, you even think about that return game. Yeah. The vitriol, you know. I remember watching that one, man. The yeah. atmosphere for yeah. that game, that's one of, like, the worst atmospheres uh, that has been there for a returning player, right? Mm-hmm. And it was extremely negative. Um, and for him to then also hit that shot yep, and and really stick a knife in the back of Raptors fans. Was that the same one where him and Mo Pete were kind of, like, playfully... Yeah. You know, like kind of slapping each other. But like, again, like slapping each other in like a playful way because they're friends. Yeah, they're friends. And, and the ref they're only talking caught, smack. Yeah, only caught Mo like actually giving it back to Vince. 
and he ejected him. Yeah. I remember yeah. Mo got so pissed off, he, he took out that headband and he threw it in the crowd. Man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, Vince yeah. goes off in the second half, hits, hits that game winner. I mean, I remember watching as a fan, and I just went straight to bed. And I was like, I've seen enough of this. Um, yeah. And so I think it just became very, very personal for fans. Um, I think on some level... The, the segment of the fan base that still feels wronged by Vince, I think on some level they want Vince to kind of take ownership of his part in that. Mm. And I think that will maybe clear up some for those fans. But I think on the whole, when you view it, the positives significantly outweigh the negatives. Like, yes, that final season was bad. You would not want that to happen with, you know, someone who was a franchise icon, should have his jersey go up, uh, at Scotiabank Arena. Um, but again, when you look at everything he accomplished as a Raptor, uh, I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah, Alvin, do, do you think he should own up to anything? Or do you think it's just like he already did what he did and there's nothing more to say about it? Yeah, I don't I don't feel like anything should be revisited. You know, it's just... And again, I don't know the ins and outs. I don't know what happened in the background. I don't know behind the scenes. But, you know, it's a career. And you have your ups and your downs. It's a right. franchise. You have your ups and downs. So it's, I'm sure it's both sides. But Vince was so impactful. And again, and that's where I think the hurt and the damage came from from others and how they viewed it. But again, you just never know. You just never know what happens. But I don't think Vince should have to go back. If there's some relationships he would want to mend or some things, people he would want to talk to, that would be on him. But I don't, I don't think he owes an explanation or anything because, again, He's, he's talked about it before, but maybe he hasn't told his whole his entire side of things. So it would be totally up to him, but I don't think he owes anyone an explanation at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, listen, I think especially you've seen the change in terms of the attitude, right? I think under the new management here, especially with time moving on and things like that, I remember one of the coolest games was Raptors were playing the Grizzlies and Vince was on the Grizzlies at the time, and they finally showed like a little thank you to Vince. And he got the ovation from the crowd. And, of course, it was still a little mix, you know, but it was like 70-30. 70 positive, 30 a little negative. And you saw how touched he was. And I think the more and more he's come back to play in Toronto, he's always got a really strong reception. Um, and, yeah, I mean, next year, 30th anniversary. Um, I'm sure there will be – why? I'm not sure. I, I guess I'm hoping that there, there will be something paid because you can't tell the history of Toronto without that. I think one of the, the last question I had about this was, um, did you ever play in Vince's, like, Summer games, you know, the summer all-star games they used to hold in Toronto. Yeah, well, tell us about that. Because, again, I miss it all the time. So what was that about? That showed another level of Vince Carter's popularity. You know, he would sell that place out for a charity game. That was a charity game. I played in a lot of charity games. Yeah. Things like that. Have about 5,000 people there or 10,000. The place was so – it felt like, again, a playoff series. It felt like everyone was there. The excitement was there. You had a bunch of celebrities come in and host Mm. it. And then you had other superstars from the NBA come by, and then Vince would have his Toronto Raptors teammates come. And so parties after that. It was a big time. It was during Caravana. Mm. It was during that time. So it was a huge. And I would like to say that Steve Nash tried to carry it over once Vince left. And I'm not sure if it did so well, but those few years that Vince put that game on, they were fun. It was a pickup game. Mm. And, you know, we just got it in. It was, it was, it was really cool. But the attention and excitement that Vince drew to that. And again, people, like the fans may take it personal, but again, everyone loved to play and come to Toronto once they're there. Like no one 
like talks about their fans and we don't like the fans. We don't like mm-hmm. their fan base. It was always other things. It could be the weather. It could be whatever. But taxes. as far as the yeah. people, taxes, the weather, the distance, another country, mm-hmm. this, this and all that. But the fan base and the community and just everything, everyone loves it. Every I've never met anybody in the NBA that did not love playing here. Even when they were here, Damon Stoudemire, Trace, they loved Toronto. Yeah. It was just the fact that another side of the business or whatever drew them away or go somewhere else. But I don't think any fan should ever take it personal because it definitely wasn't because of the fans. It was an organization also still kind of new, figuring things out, figuring the people out, figuring the culture of athletes, especially I think young black athletes out. And I think it's just everything coming together. Everyone's learning everyone. And it just wasn't a fit all the time. Mm -hmm. There you go. Alvin, appreciate your passion. And and thanks for taking the time to... uh to go through some of these uh, fond memories and giving us context around uh, Vince's career at Toronto. And, and good luck on the broadcast tonight, man. We'll be looking out for you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate course, you, Alvin. Anytime, man. Alvin Williams. What a class act, man. You know, honestly, legend. former players... legend. Bro, former players always are like, I would have done this, I would have done this. Every Alvin story is, man, I don't know. Nobody was in that. No one, no one was recognizing me at Eaton Center. <laughs> you know what I mean? So humble, man. But come on. He really was a great Raptor. And uh, yeah, next time we had him on, we got to ask him, uh, did he go to Palladium, Mississauga Palladium with Tracy McGrady? Because that's also <laughs> another great story that has come out recently. But anyway, we're going to take a, another break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. When we come back, let's check in with Mark Stein. down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Big thanks once again to Alvin Williams for calling in and uh, going down memory lane. It's given me a lot of good context around Vince Carter, the, the peak of it, everything like that. Um, just a momentous occasion that was uh, when he was with the Raptors during those moments. Uh, and, yeah, thanks to you too, Vivek, for giving me your context. Of course. <laughs> Sorry, it's not the same when he played on the team, but I actually really no, do appreciate it's, you, man. It's nowhere near the same, man. It was amazing hearing from Alvin. Yeah, it was amazing. So um, we're now joined by Mark Stein and um, – yeah, Stein, I, I want to ask, first off, how was All-Star Weekend uh, for you? Because I saw you wrote a whole column on, let's not try to expect that much out of the All-Star game. How was All-Star for you? I had a good time, but yeah, my, the column was kind of a separate thing. It's just, I, just, I just think it's too much outrage. You know, we, we get outraged in the moment about how bad Sunday's game is. And it's just like, to me, there are much more significant issues in the NBA that need fixing. And by today or tomorrow, nobody even remembers the all-star game. So mm-hmm. it's just, you know, everybody wants, you know, they want defense, but like, God forbid the first time someone gets hurt playing defense, you can count on that outrage getting cranked up about 20 notches. So I just look, I mean, I just think in 2024 all-star games, they don't really work. I mean, the NFL has gone to flag football. I don't think I need to explain to your listeners that the NHL now has 44 all-stars divided up into teams of 11 to play three on three. Like, I mean, mm. 
yeah. those sports have already figured it out. So are we, is it time in the NBA to do something else on Sunday? That's fine. But like, you know, all-star weekend is a convention for the league. It's right. not about the game anymore. And it's the most important thing about all-star is being an all-star is, you know, like Scotty Barnes, it's in the, it's in the records now he's an all-star and nobody can ever take that away from him. So I just don't get like you know, Bob Ryan is one of my heroes, but I mean, he was just so offended and he said we should all be offended by what we're watching. And I'm, I don't get that worked up about it, but just going to Indy and being there had a terrific time. Mark, very quickly, you did mention there's uh, more important issues. If there were a couple that you could put at the top of the list that you'd like to see the, uh, see the league address, what would they be? Well, I think, look, the, this, we live in the three-point era now, and these games, they get away from us in the three-point era, and that's just a reality. And there's a statistician who I just absolutely love on Substack. His name's Justin Kubatko, and he did his kind of summary of where we are statistically two-thirds of the way through the season. 89 games, by his count, were blowouts decided by 25 points or more mm. already. And that's like 11% of the games, and it's the second highest ever. So I think that's something that, that needs to be worked on more than a blowout in the All-Star game. And look, I think the whole league is curious. There, the discussions have already started. You know, the competition committee gets together multiple times a year, and they've already started talking about, do we need to bring some defense back? Do we need to bring in some measure of physical contact, something closer to hand checking? I don't think it's going to be radical stuff. Like people, there are some people who think we should get rid of the corner three. Mm. There are some people who think we should outlaw defensive three seconds. I don't think you're going to see changes that drastic, but are they going to legislate back in some contact? I think that's a fair assumption because, it's just gotten a little bit too offense heavy. Well, Mark, we did see like I forget maybe it was two seasons ago where the was one of the points of emphasis coming into the year was allowing more of that physical, you know, nature to be played on defense, and you did see like uh, at least a noticeable uh, amount of defense being played. Um, but again, when we see these rule changes, whether it's like we're gonna stop flopping, we're gonna find people for flopping, like. It tails off after the first month. That point of emphasis is put in, and then it tails off. And maybe it's just because other teams and other players adjust too, but I, I do feel like that effort isn't fully uh, sustained. So, you know, hopefully we do see the yeah, league do something last about season it. Was, last season was traveling. You yeah, know, yeah, the beginning right, of the right. season, we just had a slew of traveling calls. And the nature of the discourse today, because everybody has their own megaphone on Twitter, is that, if they bring in more contact, there'll be sh people shouting about how that's no good. And well, that's why are these guys more to hand check again? So, like, I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just in the three point. I mean, look, there were 168 threes taken in the All Star game. Yeah, one team was making them, and one team was not, and that's why we got the game we got. Yeah, and the reality is that that happens in the regular season a lot too. Yeah. Sometimes teams just are blazing from deep and the other team can't do anything about it if they're not hitting too. 
Yeah, I mean, the Raptors play the Atlanta Hawks tonight. The Hawks have been involved. They're the poster child of this. I mean, they played that game against the Pacers this, this past year, and they lost despite having scoring, like, almost 150 points without OT. Like, so, you know, there there obviously has to be something to sort of help address it. I, I guess nobody really necessarily wants to embrace this new style of game either, which I feel like I, I think it is the natural state of basketball, if it were, especially NBA basketball, should be around, like, 110, 100 to 110 points. Essentially what playoff basketball looks like. But obviously regular season-wise, it gets a little kooky. Um, you know, Mark, I was reading the, the, the you know, the Stein line as always, and I was getting some insights. You're the one. Sorry? <laughs> You're the one. I am the one. If, if, there's, if there's one Mark Stein newsletter reader, it will be me. Uh, Thank you. And Thank I was you. looking at, you had some notes in there about what the Nets may do long-term with their head coaching search because we saw Kevin Ollie make his interim debut last night at Scotiabank Arena. The Nets lost once again. Honestly, they look terrible. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what is the future of Brooklyn's actual head coaching, um, you know, spot? And also just long-term, what are the Nets doing with that roster? Because when I watched them last night, I was very confused as to what all those guys were doing there and what the direction of this whole team was meant to be. Yeah, and look, a lopsided game in Kevin Ollie's debut is obviously worrisome if you're a Nets fan or if you work in the Nets front office because you know, effort was cited as one of the key drivers for doing this now. And the Nets' last game before the break is a 50-point loss to Boston. Mm-hmm. So the minimum you're expecting, I think we all expect it when there's an in-season coaching change, is you know that new coach bump, that increased energy. And Kevin Ollie talked about how you know he had all these, he had his own list of points of emphasis to try to generate more effort and energy from his team. So to see the Nets look that listless, it just kind of underscores. Look, they have a lot of draft capital to make moves. They're going to have cap space, and they believe that let's just say this is hypothetical, this is not reporting, this is just hypothetical. If the Cleveland Cavaliers and Donovan Mitchell don't come to terms on a contract extension in the future, and if the Cavs ever reach the point that they would actually field inquiries for Donovan Mitchell, you know, the Nets feel like they have the draft capital to get into that mix. The Nets have Mikhail Bridges, a very coveted swingman on a very team-friendly contract for the next couple of seasons. So one of the reasons why the Nets have rebuffed all these offers for Mikhail Bridges is because they love his talent. They especially love his talent at his current contract number, and they want to bring in at least one more star. And now you have a real twosome to build around, but, you know, the current roster, you know, Nick Claxton certainly has fans around the league. Cam Thomas has certainly, certainly shown flashes. Cam Johnson has certainly shown flashes, but, you know, the Nets, the Nets were a 500 team. That infamous game against Milwaukee, they sat all their guys. They got fined by the league, a hundred K they're six and 19 since that game. So, I mean, it's more than karma at this point. I mean, they've, I think they've paid the karma tax already, but yeah, I mean, I, there, you know, people will throw out the name Mike Budenholzer because obviously he is the most decorated available coach that's on the market and Sean Marks and Mike Budenholzer obviously have shared ties 
shared background with the Spurs. But I would think Mike Budenholzer is going to be a candidate for numerous, you know, any job in the offseason that opens, I think he's going to be on the list. And just, no, I haven't spoken to Mike Budenholzer. This is purely my read. But I would imagine that he would be more interested in going to a more ready-made championship contender type situation if such a job opens rather than just go coach the Nets. So, you know, I do think that, I mean, the Nets have said that there will be a search no matter what happens for the rest of the season. They're going to do a search and, you know, presumably they're already working on that to some degree. But, you know, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see where they go in the coach on the, where they go on the coach front. But honestly, I think it's even more interesting what they do with the roster. Mark, the Raptors played the Nets last night. They will play the Hawks tonight. You had some notes about them in the Stein line. Uh, when you look at the direction of that team, obviously nothing materialized with DeJounte Murray. Uh, we've heard some whispers now maybe in the offseason. It'll be a lot of discussion around Trey Young. What's the sense you're getting of where that team is headed? I mean, that is really the external topic and the external view is that you know that's the question that other teams are asking mm-hmm. will atlanta decide to trade trey young and maybe keep dejounte murray i don't know that the hawks i think it's premature to say that the hawks know exactly which direction they're going to go i think the rest of the the way the rest of the season plays out factors into that but obviously, you know, right after the trade deadline, you know, the Hawks were playing pretty well and they didn't make a trade. They kept DeJounte Murray. And then right before the break, they just lose in worrisome fashion to Chicago and Charlotte. And so, you know, the Hawks are in the play in mix barely, but, you know, they certainly had higher expectations than where they are. And I think the reason that you're hearing more about Trey Young, the reason why it seems more real than it ever has is because you can actually pick out destinations now where there are teams that you could see being interested in Trey Young. You know, San Antonio, because they have Wemby, they have the perfect defensive anchor and big man to pair with Trey Young and mitigate his defensive shortcomings. So because San Antonio loom, you know, San Antonio needs another all-star player and the whispers have been there that the Spurs would have a level of interest in Trey Young and the whispers have been out there maybe even louder that if Trey Young were to leave Atlanta that San Antonio is a place he'd like to end up you know again that's that's not coming from him or his camp and I want to underline that and make that clear but that's that's kind of scatter that has circulated around the league. There's a belief in league circles that if he had to leave Atlanta, he wouldn't mind ending up in San Antonio. So, and then the Lakers, you know, we know the Lakers had one available first round pick to trade at this trade deadline. They decided to keep that first rounder because they want to have three on draft night to take bigger swings, bolder swings at the trade deadline as they have to, you know, they have to ready themselves for, you know, does LeBron James pick up next season's player option? Does he potentially go somewhere else? Even if LeBron James stays, the Lakers know that long-term they're going to need another all-star companion for Anthony Davis. So there's been this rumble. You know, there, there's been a 
a lot of chatter out there that the Lakers want they want to go after a perimeter star this off season. So the Spurs and the Lakers have emerged as at least the theoretical destinations for Trey Young, and that's I think why you're hearing more you're hearing Trey Young's name really more than we ever have in his six seasons in terms of potential trade. But look, he's had, he's had a really good year offensively. Yeah. I mean, you don't, yeah. not everybody averages 27 and 11. So, yeah. um, uh, you know, he is still a very productive player. You know, I was happy for him that he got to go to the all-star game, but yeah, the Hawks are high on the list. You know, the Bucks are probably on top of the list in terms of teams generating league-wide curiosity now maybe the warriors too and i think the hawks the hawks ain't far off they're up there yeah i'm um i'm very curious as to sort of which of those two teams if he goes to either one because both are very intriguing to me just as a casual observer not casual as as a general observer of the whole league I, i would like to see Trey play with a guy who can really cover from defensively, also be a lob target. And, yeah, I mean, both those teams could really use a boost offensively. Um, and I guess my question is just who would have the better package? You know, like, do the Lakers have more to offer or do the Spurs have more to offer? I feel like do the Lakers offer the three picks and an Austin Reeves, maybe you get maybe slightly ahead of, of, of what San Antonio could offer. I think San Antonio has more picks to offer. Yeah, I mean, San Antonio but... is going to have no shortage of draft capital, but, I mean, the, you know, the Spurs – you know, who's their second best player at this yeah. point? I mean, you know, are they willing to, tra- is it Vassell? Are they willing to trade Vassell? Yeah. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's the Lakers, you know, it really depends. And this is again, you know, th- this is, this is a byproduct of other teams kind of trying to forecast the market. The Hawks, again, to be clear, have not said we're trading Trey young. And so, it's hard to know what Atlanta would prioritize because at this point, I don't, I don't think they've quite reached that point yet. Mm. Um, and look, they could, they also could, the other option that the Hawks have is they could decide again to trade, you know, to, to make DeJounte available. They could go that route again and see if that's the best way to proceed forward. And maybe they can acquire players who fit better around Trey Young than what they currently have. Um, but look, I think the, the, the real, the real, you know, I, I, I spoke when I wrote about this and I wrote about this on the Monday after the trade deadline, I talked to one league source who I would say is very well versed in the Hawks dynamics. And the viewpoint from that source to me was deep down Atlanta knows it has to move one or the other, that the Trey Young DeJounte Murray partnership has not worked as intended. And if the Hawks indeed feel that way, then you have to presume that one or the other is going to be in play this offseason. All right. Well, something much less scintillating, but it is the natural question I ask after the the All-Star and after trade deadline is over. It's just buyout market. To me, it seems like it's really quiet. The only guy I've really heard is like, Otto Porter's not really showing up to the Jazz. Maybe he got spotted. I don't know, man. I mean, we, we had Otto, obviously, in Toronto the last two years. He played 14 games. You know, it's, it's always a question of he's going to be available. But um, where are we at with the buyout market? Um, it seems quiet to me. Well, I think the best buyout players have, have realistically landed already, starting, obviously, with, with Kyle Lowry going to Philly. So, I mean, I think right. we've – I don't know that there is that much left 
on the buyout market. There are certainly teams that would love to make additions, and there are teams that are looking. But, you know, it's always, I think, year after year, we typically overstate the impact that a buyout market signee is going to have. But, you know, Kyle Lowry, Spencer Dinwiddie, those guys found their new teams almost instantaneously because there just there just aren't that many difference makers available. Fair enough. Okay, let's go with something more interesting because again, I was reading the newsletter. The Mavericks have hired an FBI agent to be vice president of basketball communications. Um, yeah, Mark, you got to walk us through this one. That's uh, that's uh, in your backyard. What's going on? They going to the FBI for well, I mean, for employees? I mean, I, I reported that. That's really all I know. Um, wow, is, that's cool though. I guess I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, you know, it's a, it's a, it, it struck me as very interesting and something yeah. new because in all my time covering the league, I can't remember a scenario like that. I'm sure, I'm sure on the security side, you know, in in the modern sure. NBA, yeah. right. teams have much more robust and deep security staff than they ever have. Mm-hmm. I'm sure those on the security side, there has to be you know, former FBI agents who are involved in that. I, you know, but working in on the communication side, yeah. if it's happened before in my less than trusty memory, I don't remember it. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Still learning uh, Still learning more about, you know, how and why, but uh, I will uh, I will try to I'll try to satiate your curiosity and get more. I want what I'm curious is my main curiosity coming out of the All-Star break was you guys are such All-Stars you guys get an all-star break. You guys are like oh, yeah. star <laughs> players who get to go to Cobb. No, after Indy, they get to go to Cobb. So the show's been on hiatus all week till, yeah, yeah. till yesterday. Is that is that true? That's what happened. You know, after we uh, after we called you last Wednesday, we we, we finished the show at 4 p.m. Eastern, and we, we just yelled, one, two, three, Cancun. You know what I mean? Uh, I think. And Blake's a superstar. That's why I'm here. Oh, you don't understand. Blake Murphy, in particular, <laughs> he's the he's getting load manager. He's the Kawhi Leonard of the situation. I mean, he's... Uh, He's, he's out for the next uh, two additional weeks as well as he looks to rehab ahead of the Blue Jays season. To be fair, he has to cover two beats. You know, it's not just Raptors for him. It's also Blue Jays. So this guy has to own the whole city. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, – well, you know, now that we have Vivek here. So Vivek Jacob is a, is a massive United fan. And we have a City <laughs> fan. And, of course, I represent Liverpool. Uh, as a Chinese man in Canada. But, <laughs> <laughs> Mark, we finally have the space to talk about the EPL title race. Um, City is at 56 points with 25 matches played. Arsenal is at 55 with 25 matches played. Liverpool is at 60 with 26. I mean, how are you feeling, Mark? Is this going to be another one of those years where City just, like, wins every single game for the last, like, two months and it's you guys holding the trophy again? You know, like, where are you at confidence-wise? You're really not going to like to hear this, but I can't fully confirm this, but City City plays United in the Manchester Derby on March 3rd. Don't be surprised if I'm representing the Raptor show at that game. I can't oh. I can't promise, but just don't don't be surprised. Wow. Okay. Well, that's the real all-star of this situation. Yeah, we talk about 1 2 3 Cancun. Damn. Where's that going to is that where is it going to be? Is that is that in the Etihad? City. There's a Champions League game against Copenhagen oh, wow. a few days after that. Then City's at Anfield. That's all I can say right now. No, you're not hey, going to your the All-Star break. You're not also going to Anfield. That's right? all I can say right now. My goodness. <laughs> wow, there's levels to this. Yeah. There's real levels. There sure are. Yeah. Well, you know, 
I mean, V, I know you, you, you're, you, I know you love soccer more than basketball. It's okay. I'm the same. Uh, <laughs> where, are you, where are you sitting on this title race at the moment? You know, I, logic says City because this is exactly the stretch run where they th- thrive and, you know. They're way KDB, healthier than Liverpool too. KDB, since uh, coming back from injury, has been incredible. Um, you've got Holland finding a rhythm. So logic says City, but. I am going to pick Liverpool to win the oh, title. Oh, let's go. I think the, You'll never pot alone. Let's go. <laughs> I, I do think the uh-huh. emotional boost yeah. of this being Klopp's final season yeah. uh, and possibly, you know, a couple superstars might be saying this is the end for them as well uh, with, with Klopp moving you on. Emotional anchor, you mean the emotional anchor and pressure of Klopp saying this is left. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. You'll see at Anfield, don't worry. You'll know what pressure is when you go to Anfield. I mean, look, look. The reality is, the reality is, the truth is, obviously, Liverpool do have so many injuries right now that that's it's a problem. Yeah, it and, is a problem. It is yeah. a problem. Well, they're spawning these random NPCs, you know, just like <laughs> these academy products, wearing like eighty-four and fifty-two, and you know, like uh, they're coming in and they're getting results, you know. Yeah. But um, so since we know that you have yet to, since Will is yet to make it to Anfield, has yeah. Vivek to. Old Trafford. V, have you gone to Old Trafford? I I have not been there for a match. I've only visited during the off season and had uh, an incredible experience there. Did the whole tour and um, wow. it was amazing to see all the trophies. To be out, uh, you know, you, you can't actually a lot of dust on those trophies. Enter the pr- yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's from a while back. It's true. It's true. But uh, yeah, no, I've just, only been I've only been there I've only been there once. And it was the Fergie time game when Michael Owen scored the winner in about the 117th minute. Oh, wow. Uh, and that was a walking out of that stadium was a painful, painful experience. But mm. well, that's for, all I do for, now, Mark. For most, for, most of the after, for most of the afternoon, it was incredible. I, I just watch YouTube clips from 10 years ago yeah, and yeah. just try to relive the glory days. It's great because they all have podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Rio's got a pod, <laughs> Gary Neville's on every day. <laughs> Yeah, Beckham is doing his old documentary. Like actually, Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney was just on. Uh, what was it the Stick to Football? Okay. Uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. So, that was a cool episode. There you go. All right. Well, Mark. Uh, obviously, we can't have more of this conversation with you because you're going to tell us you were at every single one of these historic games, <laughs> and uh, you know, I just hope that uh, yeah, if we call you um, while you're away at these at these matches, that we we make sure to schedule our call so that we're not interfering with. Uh, the the, foot, the football viewing uh, schedule. But I uh, appreciate you, Mark, for always making time to join the program. And we'll call you next week. Yeah, actually, now you guys reminded me. I, yeah, I, I got to make sure that Wednesday. This, we'll, we'll figure it out. But you know, we'll, 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 we'll figure it out. Honestly, if Liverpool is playing I'm, City I'm, on, I'm, at 3 p.m., I think Blake, we should break the show. <laughs> we should just we should take a break. Unlike Blake Murphy, I will, not, I, will not miss, I will not miss an assignment. Wow. Wow. <laughs> there you go. All right, Mark, appreciate you. And, uh, yeah, for us. We're going to take our last break of the day. I've been your host, Willie. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. When we come back, let's go around the NBA a little bit and also look ahead to tonight's matchup between the Raptors and the Hawks, the one that nobody, nobody, nobody can resist. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, William Lou. 
last segment, the Vivek Jacob co-hosting. How do you feel about co-hosting, man? You, this, I know you did like a million shows uh, back when we were at the old studio. Now that we're in this one, TV studio, uh, you know, you and Alvin just chopping it up. I know uh, I know you were fanboying inside. You're like, <laughs> yo, this is my childhood. Like, I can't believe it. How are you feeling about, uh, you know, co-hosting the last, last couple of days? It's been amazing. I mean, first, a shout out to all the fans because uh, mm-hmm. it's been a lot of positivity and a lot of love from Twitter. So, nice. Awesome. Uh, Great. Shout out to everyone there. And, uh, you know, I will say we're not in my car anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we're a long way from recording in my car after uh, the, the Raptors go in, what was it, the G League Showcase. We were at the G League we, Showcase. We were at the G League Showcase. Yeah. Then we watch. We couldn't get over uh, to downtown in time, so we just watched it at a bar. Uh, we watched the Raptors game that night at a bar. It was a shoeless Joe's, which honestly, yeah. it's not its not a place that you and I typically would, would end up, but it was but right beside it was, where we it needed was, to be. Exactly. And it was a good, it was a it good was spot. Convenient. It was a good spot, yeah. Um, Lorenzo Brown and Malcolm Miller, I think. <laughs> oh, did, I didn't know that's where you are going with this. Yeah, yeah, Did yeah. make it from <laughs> the 905 game to... <laughs> Scotiabank Arena. Yeah, for... they, they took the Up Express. <laughs> yeah. And the Raptors hammered the Cavs that yeah, night. Yeah. I remember, man. And we were thinking, oh, maybe yeah. this is the year they can beat Bro, the Cavs. Bro, we, <laughs> we were number one seed in the East. We had this really good depth. We changed the way the offense was played. Yeah. Um, the Cavs were down bad. You know, that was Isaiah Thomas's, like, very memorable but ultimately tragic tenure with the Cavs, you know. And they played – against Cleveland, and obviously the, the Cavs had already beaten the Raptors twice in the playoffs at that point, but still, Raps won that game. It was like 130-something to like 110, you know, like beat them by a fair margin. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, we just um, we just had to record a very steamy podcast in your car. That sounds horrible, but it was a, it was a joyous time. It was a slander pod. It was one of the original slander pods, honestly. That was our commitment to the game. That was a real commitment to the game. That's also when you told game. me that uh, Nod Bacha pressured you into uh, – Changing my license plate. Yeah, go ahead. Tell that story, yeah, please. I didn't buy my car from his dealership. Yes. And so uh-huh. when he saw my car and it said a different dealership, he's right. like, you got to come and get the plate switched yeah. to say my dealership. He's like, a brown man driving a Hyundai <laughs> and it wasn't from me? He came for his turf. I like that. He took it personal. <laughs> he took it very personal. Did you fold? Did you fold? I did. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> That's the most important part. You know, he might, he, he might he might have helped me out with uh, some servicing and whatnot. So yeah, I was like, go. it was worth it in the end. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's just amazing. Just thinking about where we were then, mm-hmm. and for you to have this show now, right? Um, and to be a part of it for these couple of days. Of course, Obviously, man. Blake will be back soon. Yeah. Um, but appreciate the opportunity to yeah, have me course, on man no i appreciate you this. helping out really because what am i gonna do host a show alone <laughs> two hours on the raptors alone right now would be tough um no i mean i think that's one of the coolest parts right you're talking about that was 2018 uh we we're raps republic at that time yeah and and obviously now biggest platform biggest show um in this fancy tv studio and yeah i think the coolest part is we make essentially the same thing you know like we actually stuck to that formula and Largely speaking, we make it with the same people, you know, and, uh, you know, it was always great to, you know, we, we, we were at Yahoo together as well. So, you know, when the thought came up of like, we got to find some people to help spell Blake, I was like, you know, you know, Vivek was my first call. So 
Appreciate you. Appreciate you. We're going to go around the NBA now. That was nice. I like that. That was nice. We don't really open up that much on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, around the NBA, I'm stealing this from, um, you know, former co-host uh, Alex Wong, which uh, if you didn't know how around the NBA topics were made, it, it's it's called going on NBA Central and uh, <laughs> scrolling headlines and just dumping them into <laughs> the chart. I know he's listening right now and uh, smiling as he hears that because that's his whole game. So, uh, Nikola Jokic last night. Might have heard of him. Posted a triple-double. The stat line reads, 21 points on 10 of 10 shooting. Literally a perfect 10 for 10. Pork belly. (laughs) Oh, he was serving that pork (laughs) belly for sure. 19 rebounds as well. 15 assists all in 31 minutes of play. Obviously, they they defeat the lowly Washington Wizards. Um, Jokic now has recorded a triple-double against every other franchise in the NBA. He hasn't done it against the Nuggets because he's only ever played for the Nuggets. He's done it against the 29 other teams in the league. My question to you, V, is who's your MVP right now? Because obviously Embiid has fallen off because he's missed too much time due to injuries. He really would have had a really great chance of this. Is Jokic going for his third MVP here? I think he's right there. Uh, I think With who, though? I think Shea Gilgis Alexander should be should be up there in the conversation. Okay. I think the way the Thunder are playing, the way he's been playing uh, and leading that team, uh, obviously you give credit to Chet Holmgren and what he's added mm-hmm. to the Thunder, but to go from what they were last season to be flirting with the best record in the West this season, Shea, you know, we, we saw it coming along last season and for him to take it another step this season... Um, obviously a two-way player getting it done on both ends. Uh, and so I think he's in the conversation. Uh, it's unfortunate uh, what, what Embiid is dealing with because obviously sure. he'd be right there. Luka Doncic is going absolutely nuts I was going to say. I was right going to bring that up. Yep. So <laughs> he's got to be in the mix. Um, and then I think out of respect to the mm. teams with the top records, you, you have – Jason Tatum in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's doing quite as much as the guys we just mentioned right. to actually win it, but you you always respect the team with the best record in the league. Um, and, uh, you know, I think if there's an X factor, if there is a wild card in this race... A wild card, okay. I think you you got to put Kawhi Leonard in there. Ooh. With, with the wow. way... The, with the way the Clippers have played. Okay. Um, Interesting. I didn't think of that one. With the consistency that Kawhi has shown, uh, not just in his performance, but in his availability. He's playing back-to-backs and stuff now. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if they finish strong and finish with the top record in the West, mm-hmm. I think he has to be in the conversation. That was interesting. I never thought of that one. But I, I do hear you on that. I think... You know, one of the things with Jokic is he posts these stat lines, right? Like, it, yeah. it's, it's again, I mean, 21 points, perfect 10 of 10 from the field, 19 rebounds, 15 assists. Like, yeah. that's 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 absurd so, amount of production. To me, he's the best player in the league. Yeah. Obviously, MVP, we're evaluating the best season, right? Okay, yeah. There's yeah. obviously other factors. That the thing is, that. the only thing with him is, like, when you, when you start to talk about a guy trying to get his third MVP, in this case, you have to do something even bigger than what you did before. And, uh, you know, you, you almost aren't judged purely based on the standard of what other players are doing. You almost have to top what you previously did. Jokic just actually had better seasons than what he's currently doing right now, which is the, that's the thing that's so difficult for him to, to get up to. The, the Luka case, 
Um, so Luca also had a great night last night. His uh, numbers are so silly right now. His numbers are incredible. Last night. He had 41 last night to uh, beat the Suns. I feel like he, every time you look up, the Dallas Mavericks are beating the Suns because Luca has 40. Um, but Luca on the season is averaging 34.3 points per game. That leads all players in the entire league. He is averaging nine rebounds a game, 9.6 assists per game, a steal and a half. He's shooting 49% from the field. He's shooting actually a career best, 38% from three on over 10 attempts per game. He is obviously generating all of his own offense. He's generating all of the offense in Dallas outside of Kyrie doing his thing. And Kyrie's been playing great too. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we when Luka came into the league and he instantly won rookie of the year and he looked amazing, all-star by year two, we're like, Luka's for sure going to be a future MVP. I mean, if he's already doing all this and he's not, like, already clear-cut MVP, I don't know. Like, what's Luka's case? Like, what does he need to do? What does the Mavericks need to do for Luka to, to, to finally get his first MVP here? I mean, individually, he's doing everything he can. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just the team record okay. that, that's holding him back a little bit. Okay. Obviously, I think... They've won seven straight now. Mm-hmm. and They got reinforcements of the deadline. Yeah. Yep. They, they got some depth. They, they got P.J. Washington. They got Daniel Gafford. Uh, they addressed that center position, which they needed to. And Kyrie Irving has been healthier of late. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he missed some time. So I think, you know, if they're sort of winning 50-plus games, mm. then he's right there in the conversation. I think that's... The crazy thing is there's so much high-end talent in the league yep. right now. Yep. You are, with all these players, you're literally splitting hairs. For sure. And Except for Tatum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think yeah. in terms of the cream of the crop conversation for MVP, mm-hmm. we're looking at Jokic, we're looking at Shea, we're looking at Luka. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think... We got a shot. We haven't even said a word about Giannis. I mean, I, I know. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> totally forgot about that. That superhuman. Yes. Yeah, and like I know the Bucks uh, have underperformed, and especially with everything that's been going on of late, mm-hmm. uh, he probably won't figure into uh, the conversation as much as he should. But he is having an absolutely ridiculous season. Yeah, and he's having a Giannis season. Honestly, it's yeah. just a regular thing for him now. And Again, it just comes back to that point of with each season, what is the hair that you're splitting right. between these guys? Well, I mean, would you consider this Giannis's best season? Because there is a case for that. Um, and I'm not I'm not asking us a trick question. He's shooting 62% from the field, like just period, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he's shooting 62% from the field. Let's just let's just start and finish there. He's obviously, obviously uh, you know, averaging 31 points, uh, what? 11 rebounds, 6.4 assists. 6.4 assists is also a career high for him. Uh, a steal and a half, a block, you know, he's he's Giannis. Like, this is actually, like, honestly, statistically, it's actually better than his two MVP seasons, even. Yeah. Um, I will say with the caveat that, like, the league this year defensively, just in general, has been a lot weaker. And so offensively, teams that there's, like, an inflation across the Of course. Board. You know, yeah. you, can't, you can't compare this, like, this version of a of a junior chicken versus like back in the day when you could get like three junior chickens for five bucks like yeah. it's not the same, um, but still like there's a case that Giannis is actually having his best ever season and we barely even mentioned him for MVP. Yeah, no, I I think uh, there might be people who are so used to him being 
him and the Bucks being in that all defensive conversation and the Bucks being so good defensively that maybe the drop off there as a team has mm-hmm. hurt him and hurt his individual case. But if you were to just watch him individually, right. he's been fantastic. He's been amazing. And so, yeah, again, it's it's just you have so much talent. And that's why even with All-Star, when you're looking at some of the snubs, right? Mm-hmm. And look, at the, look at the snubs in the West, man. The, the, the West would have had five more All-Stars that would have made All-Star in the East. Yeah. Who, who didn't make the team, actually. Yeah. And, and like, like Fox. Fox, Sabonis. Sabonis, yeah. Like, neither one of them made it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it and then you look at... Trey Young, you know, initially he didn't make it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his numbers have been ridiculous. So I do think there is something to be said for just where the talent is now. Um, and and so you've got just these absolutely juggernaut MVP cases. Mm-hmm. And it just comes down to, you know, this final race saying, okay, who's maybe taking the edge here in terms of maybe just winning a narrative? Yeah, prediction-wise. You had to pick right now, two months out at the end of the regular season. Who's counting, by the way? <laughs> uh, Man, you, got? you know what? Who's going to finish top? My my heart says SGA. Okay. But uh, I am going to go with uh, Nikola Jokic. I think some of the fatigue yeah. would have actually gone from last season with, with Embiid winning it. And I, I think, you know... Uh, recognizing his greatness, <laughs> yeah, his greatness. Uh, you know, coming off Finals MVP, uh-huh. all of that. Um, unless the Nuggets don't like make a run, mm-hmm. and they kind of plateau at that. What are they fourth seed right now? Yeah, if they were to just kind of plateau there, then yeah. maybe. Uh, and, and the Thunder were, were to run away with the one seed, then give me shape. But mm-hmm. I think right now, if I had to pick, I'd probably go Jokic. Okay. I'd probably go with Jokic too. Um, but I don't know, man. Luca, there's a compelling case for Luca. And I'd feel like, yes, when you look back on the totality of his career, there's no way a player of this caliber did not win an MVP at some point. He's got a long way to go, but I, he's having his best season. Um, and the Mavs are surging and, and they are getting better. Um, a team that is not surging and not getting better pretty much ever, basically, is the Washington Wizards. Jordan Poole, uh, benched for the first time this season uh, for a team with nine wins total. And then promptly responds with a four of 17 performance off the bench for Jordan Poole. Um, it was widely reported that essentially he's considered the worst contract in the league now because there are still many more years for him to go. Um, do you feel bad for Jordan Poole at all? Not really. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, why not? Why not? Why is, that, why is that such a no-brainer for you? What's, what's there to feel bad about? I mean... Bro, he's 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 playing terrible. He, he comes yeah. off the bench for a nine-win team. Yeah, and and I think that says something about his game. And okay. I, did you watch the inbounds play that happened the other, uh, last night? No. Well, take take us through the play. So I believe so. He's under the basket, mm-hmm. inbounding the ball. Yeah. And Corey Kispert, I believe, runs straight toward him like this, and he fakes the pass initially okay and then he tries to make the pass but the ball just squirts out <laughs> oh man how many times by the way i feel like we need us i need a statistical like breakdown of how many times a franchise has had shacked in a full like highlights you know by 
by organization because the Washington Wizards, they got to be like the the Boston Celtics or the LA Lakers of just like shafted a full MVPs, man. Like, you know, the the obviously JaVale McGee back in the day, Nick Young back in the day, Andre Blatch back in the day, even Otto Porter when he went on autopilot, I believe was with the, with the Wizards too. And now they got Jordan and they got Kyle Kuzma, the Puzma combo as yeah. uh, I like to call them. But uh, like the main thing that Poole didn't deserve was Draymond's punch. Oh, no. I mean, like, no, he didn't deserve to be assaulted, man. Just yeah. come on. Like, of course. Like, yeah. that's the thing that you feel bad about. Mm. But in terms of what's going on with the Wizards, yeah, like, he's just making bad decisions. He's playing basketball with, you know. Just, Without shame? <laughs> you said it. <laughs> he does, yo, he plays like he doesn't have shame, man. Like, please. Take us. Yeah. So it's, like, really inefficient, mm. uh, really carefree, to put it nicely. And so, yeah, in terms of what's happening with the Wizards, I don't, I don't feel bad for him. All right, fair enough. Right, I guess fair or bad for him is, is not the way to, to phrase that question. <laughs> but I do pity him in a way, you know. It, it is kind of sad to see him. But To be stuck with the Wizards? Uh, <laughs> honestly, they deserve each other at this point. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it actually makes perfect sense that Jordan Poole, of all players, plays for the Washington Wizards, of all teams. Um, the last one from around the NBA. This is from a friend of the program, Jared Weiss of The Athletic, he uh, talked to Jalen Brown uh, about the prospect of doing the dunk contest again next year. Uh, and Jalen Brown said, quote, if they ask me and nobody else cares to do it, bleep it, I'll do it again. Uh, is that a threat? <laughs> <laughs> I do not want to see Jalen Brown in the dunk contest again. I'm sorry. No. Yeah. No, man. That was not enjoyable. Um, that's not like a threat when he said, F it, I'll do yeah, it again. <laughs> yeah. He's like, we got Bill Simmons. We got Celtics <laughs> Celtics lore. They'll get me in the finals again. <laughs> I mean, that was terrible. Like, yeah. it looked like they were blatantly just trying to, you know, make a case for stars to come back to the dunk contest. And Bro. it's like, we will treat you better. We will do whatever mm. you need. Like, can we please have the stars back in, in the dunk contest? That's what it looked like. Mm. Oh, yeah. And then McClung was like, I'm just going to jump over Shaq. Yeah. How about, how about I jump over Shaq? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Shaq is probably the most used dunk con- contest prop at this point. A lot of people have used Shaq as a dunk contest prop. They, someone's got to dunk over 1B. That's the new challenge. That would be... Jump I, over 1B if you're real. You know, Shaq, Shaq's 7 feet tall. That's cool. But let's, let's see you jump over 7'6 or 7'5 or whatever he is. Yeah. Did you, did you see the... Uh, someone posted on Twitter the end of Space Jam. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. With, like, MJ reaching out. Yes. And then uh, they they put it next to a photo of Wemby. Yes, he did it against Mo Wagner. <laughs> Mo Wagner was, like, trying to take a charge, like, literally above the charge circle, like, so far out. And Wemby not only ate the contact, which was a block, and he just stretched his way yeah. into, like, a finger roll. <laughs> yeah. No, he's he's terrifying. You, any, any chance you get to see Wemby in your area, you must do it. He's, like, a must-watch. It's like him and Steph right now are like the two you got to be in the building to see them. But yeah, Jalen Brown, I guess my last question on this is just which dunk was worse when Jalen Brown put on a glove and did a good dunk, I guess objectively, but dunk contest wise, really mid dunk, except it was with a glove and haha, it was on his left hand. Y'all joke, I don't have a left hand. Guess what? I got to put on a Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson glove and dunk a ball with my left hand. What was worse between that? Or when he jumped over, uh, you know, the, the, the short streamer uh, with the catch from Jason Tatum on the second attempt, he dunked the ball, 
again, very normal dunk. And then upon landing, hit yeah. a dab and pretended to do the D Brown no look. Which one was worse? That was worse. That was worse? The, the D Brown, it's like, oh, I've landed. Now, I, now I'll cover my eyes. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> I've landed. Now I will cover my eyes. <laughs> like, Goodness. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's like when we're watching soccer and, you know, uh-huh. someone tries to, you know, do something crazy mm. and it's like oh i don't think the cameras will see this and it's like there's cameras everywhere now yeah, like yeah, did yeah. he think people were not going to notice that right, he right. only covered his eyes after the fact you're right this is the louis suarez biting people with yeah. dunks <laughs> <laughs> it was so much worse no that was the worst one for sure <laughs> that one was that was pretty tough but the glove one was nasty to me man and one of the judges even had the audacity to give him a 50 they're like ooh, he put on a glove i was like no yeah that was tough all right well the judging was shameless Judging was shameless, but shouts to Raptors legend uh, Fred Jones, who once famously won a dunk contest on a layup. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by BetRivers. Take a chance. Raptors take on the Atlanta Hawks tonight. The line is Raptors plus 7.5 over under for this game set at 245. Feels a little low, honestly, for an Atlanta game, um, especially with the Raptors defensively not having many answers to Atlanta, as we've seen in the past couple of matchups. Injury report, the Hawks are healthy. RJ is listed as questionable with, uh, he's just, he missed some time with his knee. And he's actually been listed as questionable for a lot of these back-to-backs. I think it's a true questionable. He goes to the game, tests it out. If he's okay, he'll play. It's kind of what happened last time when RJ was questionable as well. But he clearly, he's able to play. He just played uh, last night as they beat uh, the Brooklyn Nets. But Vivek, what is the key matchup you're looking for here as the Raptors take on the Atlanta Hawks for the 18th time this season? Well, in terms of uh, a matchup, you're looking at quickly at the guard position mm. going up against whether it be DeJounte or Trey Young. Yeah, probably uh, DeJounte. Yeah, so I think that's the one I'm looking at. Uh, I think there's going to be some interesting challenges for the Raptors in this one because if you look at the previous night going up against Brooklyn, it, it seemed very much like they were saying, hey, there's not a lot of playmaking mm-hmm. uh, in this starting five at least. You got Schroeder coming off the bench. Um and so we're going to apply a lot of ball pressure, create a lot of turnovers. That's how you get, what was it, 46 fast break points? <laughs> 46. <laughs> uh, Let me double yeah. check that. Um, I think it was, yeah. yeah. 46 to 7 in yeah. the fast break. Mm. Um, and so that's obviously not going to be the case here mm. against the Hawks. And so uh, how do they take on that challenge tonight? Uh, and quickly is going to have a, a big part to play in that. Yeah, honestly... Uh, what I want to see from this matchup is quickly pick up some of the foul drawing tips that Trey Young has. This is not even a shade or slander kind of thing. I actually do think for small, quicker guards who don't always want to take all the contact going all the way to the basket, like not like a Westbrook or John Wall type of guy, like you have to understand how to manipulate and generate some contact. And not that I want to see quickly start to do the Trey Young, like let me jump into your elbow type of thing, but like a couple more of those tips. I actually do think there's something valuable there, but um, I'm I, I'm not going to pick this game for me because last game I picked Brooklyn, and that's uh, really embarrassing because they lost uh, by like 28 to the Raptors last night. So that was Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance, and that does it for us today. I've uh, been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. It's time to get fired up. Make sure you find the Raptors Show where you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. Big thanks to the producers, Almond Man, our board producer, Derek Brandeo, uh, Jennifer Rolnick, David Sis, Jared Manitide, helping behind the scenes. Big thanks to our guests today, Alvin Williams, Mark Stein, 
And of course, Vivek Jacob, we're filling in and co-hosting the last two days. We'll talk to you next week.